0: Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's word.
1: in John chapter 20 and I think we might get out of John chapter 20 but you know how I am and so let's do this. John chapter 20 and so it starts off with the resurrection of Christ in verse 1. You know what let's pray before we get started before I even start yucking. Father we, we just want to have your hand on us as we're going through your word. We thank you Lord that we have the freedom to come in here and open it up anytime that we want to we could say what, whatever we want to at, at this point in our country's history. And Lord, we can receive from you anytime that we want to. And Lord, we want to at this time. Thank you for Wednesdays. Thank you for just the blessing of being able to get together in the middle of the week, no matter what's been going on as far as work and all of that, and just getting our eyes pointed towards you. And that's what we want here this evening. We want our eyes pointed towards you and so just speak to us through the word just show us what we need to see and uh, just bless the time we ask this in your name amen okay john chapter 20 starting verse 1 it says now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb and then she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said they've taken away the lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him this is the this is the chapter in john where the resurrection is introduced and we start off with the whole story about Mary and Mary having an appearance of Jesus to her. It says in verse 11, after John and Peter come, that Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She says, because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And then when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And so that's the first resurrection appearance of Jesus. Mary was the first one that Jesus appeared to. And so when you're going through and and looking at the resurrection stories, this is the one that um, is the first one. And I think it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, because Mary was so devoted to the Lord and just a a blessing to see the way that Jesus blessed her. Jesus in verse 17 says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And we talked about this last time. I don't think that there's anything super spiritual going on in that verse. I think that Mary's just doing a leg lock on Jesus because she doesn't want him to get away. (laughs) You know, she she was willing to come and take his body away and take care of it. And when she sees Jesus, she just gloms onto him. The reason I don't think, you know, there are people who look at this and go, well, there must be something spiritual going on where Jesus doesn't want her touching him for some reason. And it must have to do with the fact that he hasn't ascended yet and that kind of thing. Well, in in a couple of paragraphs down, Jesus is gonna appear to Thomas and invite him to put his fingers in the holes in his hand and his fist into his side. And so most likely that's not what this is. I think think Mary's just glomming onto the guy, won't let him go. And he's like, I'm gonna be around for a while. And he was around for another 40 days. When you talk about the resurrection um, and the last thing that we talked about last time was the whole idea of Jesus being in the grave for three days and three nights. That's the passage that everybody always kind of goes to when you ask how many days was Jesus in the grave. And they'll go three days and three nights. That is one passage, and that's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. And it's the one that says three days and three nights, and it's where Jesus compares his time in the, in the grave to Jonah's time in the belly of the great fish in the Old Testament, right? And so that's usually where we go. That's what we think of. But then we went through and talked about all the other passages where Jesus is telling us how long he's gonna be in the grave. And so um, Jesus uh, said that he was gonna rise on the third day in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight passages. He said, I'm gonna rise on the third day. Well, if he rises on the third day, that's not three days and three nights. And then Jesus said in John 2, 19 through 21, that he was gonna rise in three days, in three days. And that's inclusive, and so that would put it within the three days. And then after three days. But when you look at after three days, Mark, for example, says that Jesus was going to rise after three days. He quotes Jesus as saying this, but that is a parallel passage to Mark, Matthew 16, 21, where Jesus says he's gonna rise on the third day. And so the point being that when you're looking at three days in the resurrection of Christ, the terms that are used are three days and three nights, on the third day, in three days, and after three days. And so which one is it? And the point that I was making with that is that when you're looking at the three days, you're talking about an idiom. You're talking about a Jewish idiom. And that's what we were, that's what I ended up with last time. That Jewish idiom runs all the, all the way through the Bible. And so we went back to the book of Genesis and talked a little bit about that. The reason that I'm, I'm going over that again, just really quickly, if you, want, if you want more on that, get the last Bible study. You can get online and get that. Is because when Jesus goes into the grave, what's he doing? For three days. And so... It could be three days inclusive. It could, be after, it could be a total of three days. And like I was telling you before, I'm, I'm kind of up in the air on, when, on the date that Jesus died. I lean towards Friday because that's a very early tradition. But I'm up in the air on that. I'm not dogmatic on it at all at all and that kind of stuff. But still, Jesus goes into the grave. So what's he doing in the grave for three days? What's he doing? Is he just hanging out there? Just laying down, taking a little rest. You know, crucifixion is a little tiring. And is Jesus asleep in his body for three days? And the Bible, this is one of those things that the Bible gives you clues to in different passages. And and in a couple of passages, just flat out says what he was doing during those three days. One of the things that you get with some aberrant groups in Christianity is that they say that when Jesus died on the cross, he, when, when he died, he went to hell where he suffered for three days. Have you guys heard this? Okay, that's a heresy. And the idea that Jesus would suffer for three days goes along with their teaching on Jesus becoming a sinner on the cross. And the resurrection being the time when he was raised and became godlike again, and therefore, we as sinners can be godlike. It's this really weird, convoluted thing, and the, this this comes from wealth and health teachings. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to put Jesus in the place where he became somebody that was less than God and then was resurrected and he became again somebody that was God so that we in our resurrection, so to speak, can say God-like things. So anyway, it it goes along with the whole idea that what you speak will come into existence and, and if you give a positive confession, then those things are gonna happen. If you give a negative confession, then those things are gonna happen. The words that God speaks become real because God has faith. They literally teach that God has faith, that he's exercising the law of faith and all of that kind of thing. And just to, to deal with this stuff, number one, in 2 Corinthians chapter five, where it says that Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, the Greek there, the word that's used for sin in that passage is referring to a sin offering. Jesus became a sin offering so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And so in a sin offering, what happens is you take an innocent animal and you place your hand on top of its head, you slit its throat and you're placing your hand on top of its head represents your sin going into that animal. And so now you're free from your sin. The animal's paid the price for your sin. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about in that passage. Last, last verses in 2 Corinthians chapter five. When Jesus was on the cross, remember what the last thing he said was? Before, Father, into your hands I commit your, my spirit. What was the last he, the thing that he said? It is finished, To tetelestai. It is finished. And what he was talking about was the sin bearing it is finished there. He was talking about uh, the word it is finished in Greek means paid in full. And so there was nothing that Jesus needed to do after he died on the cross. There was nothing that needed to take place after that point. And so Jesus did not go down to hell and suffer. There is no passage that teaches that. And in fact, the Bible teaches exactly the opposite of that. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a couple of passages. So one of them is in Ephesians chapter four, verses eight through 10. And it says um, that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so there's an argument as to what the lower parts of the earth is talking about. Could, it, could that just be talking about the incarnation where Jesus comes to the earth? And that's a possibility, except for when you're looking at this whole thing, that whole idea of lower parts of the earth usually means the under regions of the earth. And so Jesus, when he was talking about his death and his burial— he said he's going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's what he said. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And this is the same kind of language that's being used. And so most likely that's what's going on. In fact, I've got a Greek translation. Well, not a Greek translation, a translation from the Greek that's written by a guy named Kenneth Wiest. And this is how he translate that translates that passage. Wherefore, he says, having ascended on high, he led away captive those taken captive and gave gifts to men. Now, the fact that he ascended, what is it except that he descended into the nether parts of the earth? The one who descended himself is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order that he might fill all things. Okay, now when you're talking about this passage, the most ancient interpretation of this passage is that Jesus went to Hades. And we've got other passages that just flat out say that. And when it talks about leading captivity captive, what's that that talking about? And again, in the Greek there, he led away captive those taken captive. So there's a group of people that were taken captive that Jesus led away captive. It's the idea of he's freeing them. So what are we talking about in in that passage? And I think that this is most likely what's being spoken about. Remember the, uh, the story of the rich man and Lazarus? So you got two guys. There's Lazarus, who's a beggar, and he's outside a rich man's house. Jesus says the rich man fared sumptuously every day. Lazarus is the only guy, well, he's the only guy alive at that point that's named in the story. And then Lazarus, on the other hand, just wanted to eat the things that were thrown off the rich man's table. Kind of like a dog is is a picture that's being given there. And so Lazarus dies, and then the rich man dies. And Jesus says when Lazarus dies, that angels escort him to Abraham's bosom. When the rich man dies, he wakes up in torment in Hades. And as Jesus goes through the story, you got a situation there where Lazarus is being comforted by Abraham specifically, and he can look across and see the rich man. The rich man can see him. And the rich man says to Abraham, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus over here so he can dip his, his finger in water and cool my tongue and give me relief from this torment. And Abraham says, you know, there's, he can't come over. You know, in his life, he had just bad things given to him. In your life, you had good things given to you and now he's blessed and you're not. And he goes, besides, there's a great gulf fixed between us and you so that he can't come over. Now this is Jesus telling this whole story. And so there's a great gulf fix between us and the rich man goes, well, if you you can't send him over here to comfort me, send him to my brothers because I have five brothers. And what Abraham says to him is if they don't believe Moses, then they're not going to believe even though one rises from the dead. And that's the end of the story. And so the picture there is that the rich man is in a compartment of Hades, hell, This is the classic hell. When you think of, you know, Yosemite Sam in hell, ruling in hell, that kind of, that's that's the classic Hades kind of picture. And so the rich man is in Hades suffering in torment and Lazarus is on the other side of a gulf and it's all in the same place so they can see each other. Hades in Greek mythology was the place of the shades or the place of the dead, Hades in the Old Testament is tran- translated Sheol, and there are times when Sheol means the grave, and there are times when Sheol means the place of the dead. And you, you've got this corresponding thing when you get to the New Testament. So when you're talking about the New Testament, there's a bunch of hells, is the point that I'm, one of the points that I'm going to make here. And so when somebody dies and goes to the afterlife right now, if you're a Christian, the Bible is clear that you go to heaven, that you go to be with the Lord. First off, you don't stay in your body because the definition of death is to leave your body. And so when you read in 2 Corinthians chapter five, Paul talks about the fact that when we die, uh, we're not gonna be unclothed. We're gonna be further clothed. We're gonna be with the Lord. He's gonna give us new bodies and, and that kind of thing. And so you, you have, have that whole thing. But the point is that you're not in your body on the earth anymore. And he says, to be absent from the body, that means I can leave my body, is to be present with the Lord. And that's the paraphrase of that passage. You have the same thing in the book of James. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so when your spirit leaves your body, that's the definition of death. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so you again, you see that definition throughout the New Testament. So when you die, you leave your body. And so, like I said, when a Christian dies now, the Bible's really clear that you go with the Lord, that you're in heaven with the Lord, okay? And then he'll bring you back when he comes to get the rest of us. But before the resurrection, it looks like it was different. And that when a person died, that they didn't go straight to heaven. Where they went was to a place of comfort that Jesus called Abraham's bosom. And that would have been in the place of the dead in Hades. The unrighteous dead also went to a place for the dead and that was a place of torment. So in Hades, there was a place of comfort and also a place of torment. And so it looks like what happened is after Jesus died, He goes to Hades and one of the things that he does is he leads captivity captive. In other words, these people had died waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They died waiting for the coming of the atonement, the the final atonement for their sins. And then it was at that point, after that took place, that Jesus came down, got him and led captivity captive and took him him home to be with the Lord. so So that's a cool thing, okay? So I just opened up a can of worms there, didn't I? Yeah. So you probably have all kinds of questions that I'm not gonna answer at this point. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter chapter three. And in 1 Peter chapter three, if you look in verse 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom, talking about the Spirit, he uh, also, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Okay? And so now you've got this situation where after Jesus' death, he's preaching to spirits in prison. Now that's not, the word preaching there is not the word that's used for preaching the gospel. And in fact, if you wanted it to be preaching the gospel, you'd have to have euangelion connected with this. That's a word for gospel in Greek, sorry. That's not the word that's used for preaching the gospel. It's a word that just means making a proclamation. And so in this passage, it says that he went and preached to or made a proclamation to the spirits in prison and then he identifies them. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls were saved through water. And so Jesus goes down to Hades presumably or some it doesn't tell you what place he went to but he goes down and he preaches to spirits in prison, okay? That is an important distinction. I haven't made the distinction yet. You have a spirit, but you're never called a spirit. The, The Bible talks about the fact that you have a spirit, talks about the spirits of just men made perfect, for example. And so we do have a spirit but the only beings that are called spirits in scripture besides the Holy Spirit are angels. And so angels are called ministering spirits that minister to those who are heirs of salvation. And so we're never called spirits, but angels are. And here's here's where where I'm going with this. Turn over to Jude 6. It says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, He is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given to these, talking about these angels, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so you have angels who did not keep their first estate. It says but left their own abode and God has reserved them in everlasting chains of darkness, okay? Now normally we would just look at that and we would go, that's just the demons, that's the the fallen angels. Those are the ones who rebelled at the time that Satan rebelled. Problem with that is the angels that rebelled when Satan rebelled are still active. They're still doing the things on the earth that they've always been doing. They've been tempting you, they've been tempting me. They've been causing all kinds of a ruckus for the thousand years that they've been doing the stuff that they've been doing. They're not chained anywhere. And so this is a, a special class of angels is the point that I'm making here, okay? Turn over to Second Peter chapter 2 in verse 4, and you have a, a passage that's parallel both to 1 Peter 3 and Jude 6. Starting in verse four, it says, "For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world on the un- on the world of the ungodly," and it goes on. And so you have these angels connected with the flood once again. So you've got these spirits connected with the flood in First Peter three. You have angels who left their first abode who are, who are locked up in everlasting chains of darkness in Jude 6 and Second Peter is a parallel passage and talks about these angels that sinned and again are in chains of darkness, but it ties it in with the flood once again. And that could just be anecdotal but it sure looks like it's tying it in with a flood. You have this situation back in Genesis chapter six, where it talks about the sons of God going into the daughters of men and having children, and the children come out giants. And then immediately after that, that is stated, God talks about the fact that he's bringing the flood on the earth to destroy the whole planet. And so there's some weird things going on back in Genesis chapter six. When it uses the term for giants, that term is used later on, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's used in the book of Numbers, and it's talking about big people. And so it talks about the Anakim, the sons of Anak. Goliath was one of the sons of Anak.
0: You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winter. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kenwood, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.